Before we get started, I wanted to tell you that registration for the Renovare Book Club is officially open. It starts the 1st of October, and I'm really excited about the selections for this go-round, which includes Becoming Dallas Willard. The book club gives you study guides, weekly email reminders, special podcasts, and a chance to ask the author questions about the book. And my favorite part, there are dozens of in-person discussion groups across the world, or you can join a group online. You can learn more about the book club at renovare.org slash book club. A divine conspiracy, a new chapter would happen and I'd get a copy time. He was never pushy about it. He was always like, if you have any time to read this, I'd love to know what you think. Was about it? So, and you don't realize, okay, this book is going to change the church. So you should really <laughs> read it right now. It's in your hands. Ah! <laughs> I thought it'd be fun to sit down with Dallas and Jane Willard's daughter, Becky Willard Heatley, and ask her some questions about growing up with her dad. What he was really like. Well, it was more than fun. It was simply delightful. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovare Podcast. What do you remember from the days when my family was there in California? Well, I remember when you were born, remember your mom carrying around a cute little bundle. Do you really? Yeah. And and I remember your uh, your big brother who wasn't so big and yeah. his very red hair. Little. Um, but I don't, I don't know if you guys stayed long after you were born. We didn't. It didn't seem like it. Um, but, you know, that was... Um, when your dad was at our church, uh, I was in elementary school, and it was just a warm, safe, family kind of environment at that church, and everybody helped everybody. I mean, um, I remember, like, it felt like half the church went over to the house of one family, and we painted, hmm. and I mean, Every wall inside and out was getting painted at the same time. And, um, and at another point in time, um, some people came over to our house and built a retaining wall. Just, it was very, you know, it was the ideal community feeling for me. When we were on the church campus, all the parents were kind of looking after all the kids and, um, and it just felt very safe. And that was really neat. And I, my mom played the organ there and, um, you know, and my dad led singing and, and your dad would preach. And sometimes my dad would teach. I have a check that your dad, it's from the bank of gratitude and it's written for a thousand thanks. And it's because um, my dad took me over there with him one day and we planted a tree on the church property. And so that was, I guess that's how your dad was doing thank you notes at that point in time. <laughs> I don't know. But I still have this check. It was so cute. And it's printed like a normal check, except it says Bank of Gratitude on it. And- <laughs> so he gave you a check from the Bank of Gratitude for a thousand thanks as a little yeah. kid. You got- hmm. Yeah. I never and got I any of those. I never got any of those from him. Uh, 
That could have been before you were born. Even. <laughs> That's cool. I have this. I'm glad to hear you talk about the church because I've, I've met a number of people from it um, mm-hmm. through the years. But it, I have this very idyllic picture of it and just this mm-hmm. kind of marvel at in this little church, you know, 100 whatever people, right? Yeah, um, pretty small. Here you got two pretty cool figures together. I love that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's neat to see how God works things out like that, that they could meet in that small environment and become so bonded and get to learn together, um, you know, as, as they were trying, they were learning themselves and then getting to try those things out together with the disciplines and everything. And it's just neat to see where all of that went. Just amazing, you know, really. And we're still connected to some of those people. Good people. I mean, maybe I can go from there. Then what was your experience like growing up as Dallas's daughter? Well, you know, a lot of people ask me that. And I would love to ask you, um, you know, the same question. Because <laughs> um, I think this part of the answer will be very similar. You know, my dad wasn't like the Dallas Willard when I was in the house. Okay. You know, he, I mean, he, he was a great dad and he was um, working at USC. So he had a 45 minute commute both ways Mm -hmm. and he would leave really early before traffic and um, sometimes get back, you know, just in time for a sort of latest dinner. Um, And he was, he was that young father trying to establish himself in his career mm-hmm. and investing heavily in that. Um, career as a philosopher at that point. As a philosopher at USC, yeah. You know, you start out, you've got your doctorate, but you're an associate professor and, and you're supposed to move into being a full professor at some point. And, you know, he believed that you have to have published a book before you can be a professor legitimately mm-hmm. in his mind. And mm-hmm. so even though the... Uh, the department was ready to promote him sooner. He wouldn't accept that until he had published his book. Really? I think we're just talking about a couple of years or something, but anyway, so, (laughs) I mean, it was a pretty standard setup for a while, you know, and, and he, same as at Woodlake, you know, wherever we were, he would end up doing some teaching at the church and people would invite him to speak at other churches as they heard him and his reputation kind of developed and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that was kind of fun to go and be the daughter of the guest speaker and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And and afterwards, you know, you have to stand in the back and people come and talk to you and they're shaking hands and stuff. And sometimes I'd be off to the side waiting and he would reach his arm out to me and just pull me in next to him mm-hmm. and keep his arm around me while he talked to the people that were going by <laughs> and just making sure that I didn't feel left out and awkward and stuff like that. And it mm-hmm. was very sweet how he just made sure that I was, you know, being included and taken care of in that Mm, way. That is sweet. So I don't think that different of a life than most people in that Mm -hmm. regard. Mm -hmm. I helped him type In Search of Guidance the summer after I graduated from college. Did you? So (laughs) it was a very, you know, so I was pretty much out of the house when everything started happening with his books and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been neat to watch his career grow and and how his teaching has affected people. And uh, all of that is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And 
and it's it's fun when people find out that I'm his daughter and then they tell me how much his work has meant to them and three-fourths of the time it will be about the divine conspiracy and how that changed their life. So, and I, I expect you have a similar story about what it's like to be Richard Foster's son. Mm. And, um, was, Cause you were growing up while he was at friends, right? I mean, is that the yeah. bulk of your yeah. time in the house? Yeah. It's interesting because your father's people knowing of his work has been a gradual through the years. And so then as your adult life, right, it's just continued to, he's become more and more well-known. My experience was, um, Boy, and what a gift in a way for you as an adult to just to yeah, kind of be a part yeah. of that typing. And I assume is then when the divine conspiracy and others came out, you were kind of reading them and interested. Is that accurate? Yeah, as much as I could. Um, I think Spirit of the Disciplines, I was living in another state and missed most of that development. Um, but divine conspiracy, you know, he was a new chapter would happen and I'd get a copy, you know, kind of took if I had time. He was never pushy about it. He was always like, if you have any time to read this, I'd love to know what you think. Was about it? And you don't realize, okay, this book is going to change the church. So you should really read it right now. It's in your hands. Ah. So, okay. So mine's very different then because, you know, my dad had this very unusual happening to where his first book is his most popular book. And mm-hmm. um, so it hit really fast in terms of his kind of being known publicly as when I was a little mm-hmm. kid. But I did have that experience when he wrote the prayer book because I would would have been a teenager. Uh, I mean, like okay. young, maybe 18, 19. And also with devotional classics, I had that too, where I was a reader for, for both of those. And that was I don't know if he was trying to be nice and include me or if he... I don't know why he was just like, if you, if you got any feedback, you know, read it. And I don't know what I, I'm sure it was very critical, whatever I gave, but um, <laughs> I don't know, but it was fun to be a part of it. So. <laughs> so how old were you when Celebration of Discipline came out? So I would have been four. Oh, okay. So then your experience would have been very different from mine because mm-hmm. that was, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't really remember a time before he wasn't doing public things. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously he was a you know professor and had that, but um, you know, lots of travel. So was he away a lot speaking when you were little? It'd be, it's interesting. His archives, he's kept such incredible records that I could go find out exactly how much. My memory as a kid was that it was quite a bit. I don't know how accurate that was because I do know that he was um, very intentional to not take lots of things on. Um, but my memory as a kid was that he was, um, yeah, he was traveling quite a bit. And as a result, I mean, I, I, I wrote a book about my relationship with him. It was about climbing mountains, but it kind of became my therapeutic process of <laughs> walking through what all that meant because I didn't like it. And I didn't like, I didn't really know what he did, but I didn't mm-hmm. really like it. And I didn't like people would be very enthusiastic when they met me. And so I felt like I had to smile and, you know. Yeah, do that kind yeah. of thing, which I which I just didn't like. So, so um, tell our audience the name of that book, Nate. Well, okay, Becky, <laughs> this, uh, Wisdom Chaser uh, subtitle: Finding My Father at Fourteen Thousand Feet, and and it was uh, it was great fun because I it's uh, uh, my twenties climbing mountains with my dad 
in the beginning didn't really care for much. And in the end, he became like my best friend. So it's that kind of story. What is it like when people find out who your dad is? Mm. It's fun. I mean, don't you have, do you have those stories where people, where you've gotten to kind of do the reveal with people? (laughs) (laughs) You know, where someone begins talking about their work and then they don't know that you're, have you had those experiences? Oh yeah. 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 I had the funniest experience just a few months ago. I was at a dinner party and um, one of the members of our ministry team that was gathering brought his girlfriend and she hadn't met anyone there yet. And so we were talking and she asked me what I do for a living. And, and I told her that I was working in publishing and some of the projects that we had been working on and, um, and that those books were wrapping up and I was hoping to um, be able to do some more work along those lines with other authors. I usually I'll say my dad's an author mm-hmm. and how I work for him that I do his website and, and, and lately, you know, I've been working on some of his books and things like that. And so finally she said, you know, what's his name? And I said Dallas Willard and her face kind of did <laughs> like a few different expressions at once kind of, and she didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I looked at her boyfriend and <laughs> we just, we burst out laughing because it was just the most priceless expression. It was so funny. And then <laughs> she just, you know, had, had been so blessed by his work and things like that. But it was that facial expression and that pause and not knowing what to say. And she felt really silly, mm-hmm. you know, but it's just, it's sweet. And people have really been, their lives have been changed by what our dads have written. Mm-hmm. And it's neat to get to be involved in that in some way. And now you and I get to try to extend that even further and try to keep their work out there and bring it to younger generations. And sometimes I feel like what a incredible gift and responsibility and um, you know, wow, how did this end up in my lap? And um, so it's, it's, um, it's kind of awe-inspiring when you really think about it. Mm, it is. I mean, sometimes I'll get that just a kind of snapshot moment of gratitude of, wow, how mm-hmm. cool that I get to be involved in some of this at this place and time in history. And yeah, it means a lot to me. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you are officially you know, on staff with Renovari now and getting to really focus on continuing that ministry. It's so important. Mm. Really glad you're there. Thank you. Thank you. I'm never intended to do this, and that's good, and I'm grateful for it. What was the shift for you when when you found that you wanted to kind of be more involved in helping curate your dad's material. And- well, I was kind of eased into it. I was, um, I was working full-time in um, the information technology. Uh, I want to say business, but that's not right. I, I was working at Hilton hotels um, and I was, their uh, electronic communications manager was the title they gave me, but um, we were just starting to roll out email across the nation uh, in all the Hilton hotels. And so I was involved in making that happen. And 
and working myself to death, I ended up on disability. I had really made myself sick. Eventually, mm. with all the health things that came with that, um, my dad said, well, why don't you come and work for me a little bit and um, help, you know, I need some help organizing stuff. And the Divine Conspiracy had just come out at that point in time. Mm-hmm. I started helping him and my mom with her bookkeeping and things for her uh, therapy practice. Mm-hmm. And helping dad organize files. He was not like your dad. He didn't keep good records of anything. He didn't have um, <laughs> or stuff organized. He would he would write a paper, present it at a meeting, and throw it in a file drawer. And he said he thought nobody would ever be interested in that stuff again. Mm-hmm. And so now in 1999, he's, he's starting to get the picture that maybe people, <laughs> you know might care about this stuff that he wrote. And so we started pulling stuff out of those file drawers and getting it organized and doing that kind of stuff. And eventually I was able to talk him into letting me build a website for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, The clencher on that was that people around the world could have access to his material for free. You know, we could put all of his articles online and people from anywhere in the world could just go and read them. And he liked that. Mm -hmm. Then we started to realize, you know, how how much material he had in those drawers. <laughs> and and then Westmont, um, Gail Beebe, who used to be on the Renovari board, um, he's the president at Westmont College in Santa Barbara. And uh, he came and talked to my dad about setting up a library uh, there that would have my dad's personal library um, after dad was done with it, of course. and. Um, and then copies of his papers and things like that. So then we started really trying to get in there and organize things like that. And and this was shortly before um, we learned that he had cancer, like maybe two years before. So we didn't have a lot of time to make it nice for Westmont, you know. But um, there's, there's a lot, lot of stuff there. So we're hoping to find the good material that is uh, within these boxes and file drawers and um, find the best avenue of getting that out to the world. Um, whether some might be philosophy journals, some might be to just put it on the web and some might be to put together collections that go in books. That's a that's a big task that we have ahead of us. And it's very fun to work on because you find these wonderful things. It's a great opportunity. We're looking forward to what we find in, in probably many years of releasing more material to folks. You've got years and years ahead of you, right, of, of digging through this material? I think so. I mean, what's that scripture about we can't say specifically what our plans are? Sure, um, sure. But if the Lord wills, um, there seems to be a lot of material there and you can't just look at it and estimate how much stuff that is because he kept all of his research and all of his notes. And so there's magazine clippings and newspaper articles and things that he printed out from the internet. So you can have a folder that's an inch thick where the final product paper is only three pages long. So it's hard to just look at what's there and guess how much material is there. Uh, you know, a book will have a full box of material, if not a box and a half of research and writing and stuff. What did What did I hear that like like in the garage or just 
you know, essentially material that can be a book that's in a moldy box. Or, yeah, because again, you, know, you didn't think people would be that interested in this stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> but the best stuff has been to find um, teaching series uh, that are on cassette tapes because they're so old, and um, putting those together can, and you can make a book. Um, out of that material. So we've done that twice now. We did that with The Allure of Gentleness and um, now the book that just came out, Life Without Lack. Those are both started out as teaching series in a local church. Really good material. We just try to add, um, if there's places where he said, I wish I could talk more about that or something, we'll try to find where he did get to talk about that and add that in to what we publish and try to make sure that we are publishing the most recent versions of his teaching on a specific topic because cassette tapes are usually from like in the 90s mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so his his thoughts have developed further and such so we try to use the latest version and uh, so that's fun and i hope we have a few more of those in there that we can do so we've got the written we've got the recorded um and just want to try to make it all as available as we can in the best ways possible. Right, right. He did a teaching on the book of Acts in at the church with, with my dad. Do you have recordings of that? So your dad did have them. We didn't. And I don't know if we ever got copies from him or not. We have the handout. Well, let me just add to that. He, I, it was the last ministry, Renovari ministry team uh, retreat he was at before he passed, he did a teaching. He did that teaching for the group and, and I recorded it on my phone. Well, that's great. Um, somebody sent us notes from that session. Yeah. He printed out uh, notes for all of us and then okay. went through. But yeah, you know, getting the recording, some things that aren't long enough to go on a book, but might be too long to just put out as an article online. We might try to do some little eBooks or something. Mm -hmm. So, and that might fall in that kind of category. I loved the, is it Renewing the Christian Mind? Is that the title? Yeah, it's kind of a Best of Dallas Willard collection. Mm -hmm. There's some wonderful stuff in there. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know if it's because for my mind, I can just kind of dip in and grab, you know, one essay, but I absolutely uh -huh. love that book. Yeah, I liked that about The Great Omission, too, that you could mm. just grab at that moment and i've used that sometimes for people that haven't read anything of my dad's so i'll give them the great omission okay. and now we've got renewing the christian mind and that's like twice as many articles and really good stuff you do you know how that book came to be no tell us well gary black who edited the book um Keith matthews were talking about how they there's a lot of my dad's material in different books that they wanted their students to read and basically two professors came down to saying, I wish we had a kind of a Dallas Willard reader mm -hmm. that we could have our students get. And so, uh, so they talked to my dad and he liked the idea of being able to provide one book that had um, kind of a wide range of his teachings on different topics. So Gary put that together. That was the purpose is mm. to uh, get those into the hands of students and Gary had hoped to actually use portions of Renovation of the Heart and I think Spirit of the Disciplines as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but Harper Collins decided to just go with the separate articles instead. And 
which is probably good because it's a pretty long book as it is. That's huge. Um, yeah. But there's some fabulous material in there mm-hmm. and uh, you won't find it anywhere else. Some of that stuff. And I uh, just, yeah, it's a good book. I love that, that there's surprises to await. You know, I love that Dallas is not done teaching us. I hope we will do a good job of getting it out to everybody. Oh, I trust you will. I really And do. our prayer is that we can keep his teaching out in the public square and beyond the walls of the church and mm-hmm. where uh, new readers will find him and, and be able to understand um, that the kingdom of heaven is available here and now. And that all they have to do is turn and walk into it. Do you remember a few years ago, our parents went to Europe? Yeah. Together? So so on that trip, I loaned my dad my video camera. And he didn't really understand how to work it. So essentially... For however long that trip was, you know, they went to sites and the museums and stuff. Essentially, he pushed record and never turned it off. And so, <laughs> so like, in an art museum, every single painting, everything, you know. But what was really cool is, and it's been years since I listened to it, but you get these little conversations, something my dad just marveled at because he was so taken by your dad's mind right or is so to you know and uh is is how he knew something about all of them right and there'd be a painting and you'd have launch into some story about i don't know 15th century art or something (laughs) so if you would ever like to see 40 hours of uh, their european trip i uh have those like, somewhere in yeah, my garage. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've heard Silly. I've heard stories about that trip and how you know, he would point out tell you the history of a building or tell you about the painting and he's done that with another friend too and so you know, it it would be fun to hear that stuff. Wouldn't it? And so, he loved art. Hmm. He taught a, a course uh, involving art at USC and um you know, that's so, so far off the path of his main teaching right, that people right. really don't hear that. He loved art. He loved music. He loved poetry. Um, just, you know, he, when you're doing a mic check, he would say a poem sometimes mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. get the level on the mic and stuff. Um, but, you know, really loved beauty in all its forms. Mm. And I think that's part of the sweetness about him is he was really affected by those things. On that trip, it, he he said something to my dad, which was really sweet. So, um, so my dad didn't necessarily have a good education, and there's kind of holes in his growing up years. And at, you know, he's hearing all the Dallas saying all the stories about different things historically and art and such. And my dad just kind of goes, "Well, you know." I guess I had some holes in my, you know, my dad doesn't have any clue of what he's talking about in terms of this knowledge. And apparently Dallas said well, something to the effect of, oh, you'll, you'll have many, many years to learn or to fill in that gap. Uh, you know, meaning <laughs> beyond this life. Well, you know, you can spend a hundred yeah. years learning about this or that. He seemed to always have that awareness of eternity. Mm-hmm. And that was neat. There was that perspective that there was it was always in the corner of his eye Mm -hmm. 
does that help you in terms of your grief? Gosh, can I go there to ask you that? Sure. Just the the understanding of eternity? Yeah, or just how important it was to him. He really believed it. He believed what he taught, and he believed um, the things Jesus said. And when he was, so he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in August of 2012. And about six weeks later, he went uh, in for what they call a Whipple procedure. And they open you up like really a lot. I'm sorry, I sound like such a valley girl saying like in there. but um, <laughs> You are from Southern California, but sorry. <laughs> and here's your proof. <laughs> um, and, and it's a really invasive surgery. So there is this threat that you might not make it out alive. Mm-hmm. And so I was talking with him about three days before the surgery. And he, you know, he was kind of coming to grips with that. And, and he had been doing all the the things that you do to make sure everybody's taken care of if, if you don't make it and that sort of stuff. And, and he said, you know, of course I'll miss you and your mother and, you know, was naming some of the family. And then he, he got all teared up and started talking about going to heaven and what that would be like and seeing his mother who died when he was two and being reunited with all of his siblings who have gone on before now and, um, you know, his grandparents who helped raise him and all the aunts and uncles and, um, you know, and I thought he's not even going to put up a fight on that table. <laughs> you know, I, I thought he really wants to go. Yeah. He, he's ready and he's looking forward to it. And it it was sweet, but there was that little scary part of, you know, if he has to put up a fight, I don't think he's going to. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so then has that helped influence the years since he's gone in terms of your own grief? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for, for anybody, I think the idea of facing the death of a loved one without the understanding that you will be reunited in heaven. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how you would bear that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and, and this understanding that um, our time on earth is really brief in the perspective of eternity yeah. and um, thinking about him uh, getting to visit with Moses and, <laughs> you know, I mean, just that whole range of who you get to talk to once you're there. And, um, and then how he taught about God will have work for you to do in heaven too. Mm -hmm. And kind of wondering what that is and what he's been up to. And a friend of my mom's had a dream that she saw dad and he was in heaven and, and he was wearing a suit and tie and Mm -hmm. he was doing his thing, you know, and um, (laughs) just like what he taught. And, Mm-hmm. So it's nice to think of him that way and, and think about um, one of his best friends passed away on my dad's birthday last year. Okay. And um, to think of them being together again mm-hmm. you know, is really sweet. So, um, yeah, it helps, mm-hmm. you know, that, that this is just a break yeah. and it's not a permanent thing. Oh, that's good.
when you think of of your dad, so I mean, you've got the situation a little like me, where I've, I've been very influenced in terms of the writing and the speaking, and it's been so helpful and formative in my own life. But then I also have the person who I know and the experiences and the kind of everyday life. So when you think in terms of your dad, which of those has influenced you in which ways? Well, the daily life obviously is huge. He talked about resting in the kingdom Mm -hmm. and knowing that the resources of the kingdom are always available. He really lived like that. You know, he was normally so calm and um, relaxed, right? right? That's the one word he said he would use to describe Jesus if you had a one word. <laughs> and dad was relaxed. So being able to see him uh, live the way he lived and weather storms and deal with worries and, you know, that had a big impact. That that makes makes me say, okay, so this stuff is true because mm-hmm. you can feel like that. And mm-hmm. so that's neat. And then the writing and the audio recordings and all the things that are out there, that helps me know how you get there and how to um, apply that in your own personal life and how to do that in the church, how to disciple others, you know, those kinds of things. So it's both both sides. There's a certain integrity that's helpful to see, mm-hmm. but I think helpful for people to know. When I think of your dad, the the line that comes is a, a person at ease with himself, God, and yeah, others. Yeah. Just really seem to be at ease. Um, and I beautiful. have never read anything in any of those books or heard anything in a recording from a conference where I've thought that I've questioned it, that you don't really live like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that has mm-hmm. never happened. And, and he's very honest. If he's struggled with things, um, he'll say so. And um, so, and that's a good feeling, you know, mm-hmm. when you talk mm-hmm. about integrity. Mm-hmm. It's good to be able to say that. Okay. One of the things that's been real helpful for me in, in thinking of my dad is, is I've kind of seen a progression and I've seen him change through the years. Mm-hmm. It, did you get a chance to see that? like his own kind of personal growth into the person he became? Yeah, but, you know, the level of, of calmness and, and relaxed like that, you know, develop. You know, I, I could see him get upset when I was in high school. And I moved away right after college for 10 years. So there's kind of that gap. But I think during college, he was already, um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, and even seeing him get upset was very rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, but um, you know, I mean, the worry over finances or whatever, those kinds of things, you would see that happen at at a more normal level, I guess, mm-hmm. when I was younger, mm-hmm. and that it just got to be where that stuff, you could tell, it just didn't bother him. He didn't. He wasn't worrying about it. He would do whatever was necessary to address the situation, but it wasn't with a level of worry or we're in crisis or something. And I think when I was younger, there would have been more, maybe more of a hurried response than when he was older or worried or whatever. I mean, a more emotional, I mm-hmm. guess, really sure. response to things. Um, 
than once he had started really engaging in spiritual disciplines and 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 that had a real effect on him. I think there can be a danger in kind of taking people that we look up to who have been real influential in our life and placing them in a category that we can never be like. Um, and so I just curious if you have thoughts on that in terms of, of uh, your dad and people who would look at his life and work and go, well, that's all fine and good. There's Dallas and here I am in, in all my mess. I guess I would say that he started out like everybody else. And that's part of, uh, there's a biography about my dad and that's part of the story. He started out, you know, the same as the rest of us in a, well, and, and in much um, tougher conditions in some cases, you know, than a lot of people. I mean, he was born in a family that was, you know, living pretty much in poverty and his mom died when he was two and the whole family gathering together and, and helping raise these four kids that now had no mom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, God just was really faithful in that. And, uh, you know, he went to a Christian college and then later, um, you know, another Christian college <laughs> and whatnot. I mean, just anybody can go on that path and invest themselves in mm -hmm. learning Becoming more like Christ and any of the spiritual giants, I think you would see the same thing mm -hmm, if you mm -hmm. really took the time to investigate that. Yeah, yeah. What do you miss about him? I think I miss, um, you know, just his calming presence uh, when when I would go over to the house and he was there. His study. Um, area was always so quiet and peaceful and um, sometimes there'd be classical music playing or something like that um, but and and he was just there working or praying or you know reading his bible and um, so I miss that just the the quiet calming presence of him and then if he wasn't you know, if, if he wasn't doing that, then he would be out working on stuff around the house or in the garden or, you know, fixing whatever kinds of stuff. And he'd be out there singing or whistling and uh, <laughs> very joyful. And so that, that kind of presence about him is, I think, what, uh, what I miss the most. And getting to ask him question, especially now as we're digging into his teaching and you get into this, okay, that's what you said. What did, what does that mean? And he's not here to ask. And that's tough, you know? And, and so we just like in these books, we just, we put it there and that's what he said. <laughs> just let it be. Well, there you have it. We'll pick up next month with the discipline of solitude. As always, thanks for listening and have a great week.